passage of scripture today. You might want to write these down because we're going to be, I I try to take it easy on you, but sometimes I just got to throw out lots of scripture. We're going to be starting with Matthew 4, 1 through 11. We're going to allude to Luke 4, 1 through 13, which is basically the same story, just with a couple different nuances. And we're also going to be talking about James chapter 1, 13 through 15. The topic today is temptation. And uh, so I want to read to you out of Matthew 4 and just see what we can get into today. So in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, it says that then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written and he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor and said, all of this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. So let's have a quick prayer and we'll have, the, we'll have God lead us in this process, okay? Father, please speak to us through these scriptures and breathe life into each one of us that we may in turn breathe life into others. Guide us, Father, and teach us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to dissect this passage. I want to just get into some various nuances of what's going on in this particular pericope of scripture. And and so we're going to break down the very first verse with the three different uh, segments And I want us to focus on these three segments to set up the foundation. The very first principle mentioned here is it says that Jesus was led by the Spirit. Now one thing, and I don't know that where you are on this, I don't know what your background is, I don't know how you view this, but uh, there's a lot of times I've encountered people that that, kind of look at the Holy Spirit as as a commodity, that when you're baptized into the Christian faith, you're given like this jar of the Holy Spirit, and now you possess this entity that you can do with whatever you want. But what we fail to understand is the Holy Spirit is the third part of the Trinity. So in essence, it is not a commodity at all, but a person. The Holy Spirit is a person in which seeks a relationship with us. And when we are in a relationship with the Holy Spirit, we can communicate back and forth. But also within any relationship, you have the capacity to increase in your relationship or decrease in your relationship. Now, naturally, in my relationship with my wife, I spend as much uh, effort uh, increasing that relationship because I want it to get better each and every day of our lives together. But I know that sometimes that's not feasible. Sometimes that's problematic. Sometimes that's difficult. And what happens is, is that we can allow it to depreciate by simply withdrawing from it and not putting as much effort into it. That relationship can decrease. And the same is true of the Holy Spirit. When you come into relationship with the Holy Spirit, you have the capacity to to be led by that Spirit, 
which also implies to be guided by that spirit and, 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 and nurtured by that spirit. Um, or you can basically just let it shrivel. In John 14, 16, Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor in his absence. And this counselor will be with you forever to help you, to comfort you, and to guide you. Those are the three nuances of what the Holy Spirit will do for you in John 14, 16. So if you don't have relationship with the Holy Spirit, then we know that it's not going to be there to help you adequately when you need the help. Now, at any given moment, you can repent, confess, and turn back to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will come back to you. That's a given. But if you're negligent in that relationship, then you can basically assume that it's going to dissipate in your involvement and in your day-to-day living. But the Spirit is also there to comfort you when you're wounded, when you're broken, when you're confused, when you're lost. It will comfort you. But the Holy Spirit is also there to guide you. And in John 16, 13, it says that when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So we know the Holy Spirit's job is also to teach us and to convict us of our sin, to convict us that there is a God who, who is, is reigning over us and has desires for our life. And so we know that. But, but this is what it says, it, that Jesus was led by the Spirit. I don't know necessarily if you all are led by the Spirit on a regular basis, and I don't know to what depth you are. But I can say from my own personal life that there's many times that I don't necessarily want to be led by the Spirit because I know what the Spirit's going to ask me to do. Frequently, stuff I don't want to do. Go to Africa. Go do missionary work. Forgive your spouse. You know, stuff like that. Uh, tithe. Tithe to the church. You know, stuff like that is difficult. But the Holy Spirit knows what's best for us and is leading us into a place of spiritual maturity. And naturally, a lot of us will want to resist that from time to time. But the Spirit is there to lead us. Now, now the vision or the visual picture I get of this is kind of like a highway. But on one side, you have uh, two extremes, two polarizations. You have people who are Spirit-led in everything they do, every decision they make. They don't even, they don't even brush their teeth without asking God, okay, is it a good time for me to brush my teeth? Or what kind of toothpaste should I use? So there are some people that are really hypersensitive to the Spirit's leading. And then there are people who are on the far other polarization, the other extreme, who are not being led by the Spirit, but what are they being led by? Well, it's my understanding from all of this study is that temptation is the other extreme. Temptation doesn't come from God. It comes from the enemy, the devil. And so if we're not being spirit-led on one extreme, we can be devil-led on the other extreme by just, again, allowing it to reign in our lives. That's why the scriptures are very careful in, in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, if I remember right, that we have to take every thought captive in our minds. We have to tear down the mental strongholds and we have to recommit ourselves to Christ daily so that we're thinking the right way and that will lead us into doing the right stuff. So this temptation thing is very real, and we know that it's not good for us, and we know that it comes from the devil. I'll show you scriptures to support that. But, but think about this for a minute. Temptation. 
I wondered when I first started into this, my first question of God was, is it possible to be tempted to do good things? If you look at all the, the dictionary definitions, you know, Webster, Merriam-Webster, uh, uh, Oxford, some of the others, it'll basically put a negative slant on the definitions, but it will give a little bit of a, a, a hint that maybe it can serve a good purpose, a temptation that can serve a good purpose. So when I saw that, I thought, I wonder how many people today here at church are tempted to give me $100. Anybody? Is there anybody here tempted to give me $100? I didn't think so. (laughs) Now, I know this, that it is possible that at any given moment, a person may be led to give me $100. If the Holy Spirit, in their prayer time, communicates with them and says, hey, I need you to send $100 this way. Because we see that kind of stuff happen all the time in the church. All the time it happens. All the time. Uh, there's been several times at Christmas I'll have somebody give me a couple envelopes with money in it and say, hey, if you know anybody in need, give this to them. In some cases, it'll have somebody's name on it and say, would you pass this on to so-and-so and don't tell them where it came from. Those are good days. That makes me feel like Santa Claus. But, but that happens sometimes. But temptation typically does not do anything good. It doesn't imply something good. Uh, actually, if you go to the Greek definition of temptation, you'll get three words. You'll get temptation, you'll get trials, and you'll get experiments. Experiments. So, so when you take that into consideration, you go back and read chapter 4, it says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be experimented upon. Interesting definition. But that is an actual applicable definition to this particular passage. That maybe he was led into the desert as an experiment. Because you have to think about it. He was the first one to ever have the Holy Spirit descend upon him and remain on him. And now he's being led into the desert. Remember, Jesus was fully God and fully human. He's fully God in heaven. Came to earth. Now he's fully human. He laid aside his holy divinity to come into earth as a human. And so he now is going into the desert to where he will be tempted as a human by his own human strength and human capacity in the face of the greatest opposition, the devil. And he's there to be tempted, to be shown an experiment. It's cool to know that, of course, in hindsight, that Jesus passed the test, that the experiment was highly successful, that even in his own humanness and his own flesh, He did not succumb to sin. Hebrews 4.15 said that he was not with sin. He lived a whole life without sin. Even though he was in day-to-day constant temptation like we are, he chose not to sin. Interesting stuff. So that's the first phrase I want us to look at, led by the Spirit. The second phrase is this, into the desert. I could spend hours on this. Of course, I'm not going to because we only have like two hours. Um, (laughs) But, but anyway, it says that he was led into the desert. Now, this kind of interested me. Why in the world would Jesus be led into the desert after being baptized in the Jordan River by his cousin, John the Baptist? Why would he be led into the desert? Well, this is kind of an interesting thing. Did you know that the nation of Israel, when they were in uh, Egypt that Moses went and brought them out of Egypt to lead them towards the promised land. 
because of their sinfulness, because of their disobedience and their whining and crying, they were not being led by the Spirit. They were being tempted by the opponent. And so while they were there, God decided to discipline them, and they were there for 40 years. Where were they? In the desert. In the desert, they were tempted, and they were tested for 40 years until they got to a place of spiritual strength where now they were able to get into the promised land and to take possession, to which, by the way, in hindsight, they failed. But that's not the point. After that, did you realize that after Moses had killed the Egyptian guard for mistreating the Hebrews, that he went into the desert? He went into the, to the, Median, the Midian desert where he was uh, living with his, his new family, and he was being trained and strengthened so that when the day was right, he would come out of the desert and to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage. You probably knew that in Joshua, Joshua was the successor to Moses. He got his training in the desert. And when Moses had died, it was now Joshua's turn to turn up to the, to step up to the limelight and to lead the people. But after his desert training, King David went into the desert after he was anointed to be the king of Israel. And even though King Saul was still on the throne, David had to go into the desert to hide from him, but also to be prepared by God for his role as the king of Israel. Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 17, after he went and pronounced to Ahab, it's not going to rain because of, your, because of your sinfulness in the land for three and a half years. During that three and a half years, he went into the desert and lived at the brook Cherith where the ravens fed him and he drank from the brook and he had no place to lay his head. John the Baptist came out of the Essene community of Qumran, which some of us have been there recently. John the Baptist came out of that region, baptizing people, a baptism of repentance, but he came out of the desert. And even the Apostle Paul went into the desert for three solid years for training before he started his ministry after his Damascus experience. So I think it's very relevant that Jesus went into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights to be tested, to be tempted, to be experienced not experienced, experimented upon prior to his physical ministry's start. I know I'm talking 100 miles an hour, but I get excited about this stuff. I'm sorry. So the second, the third phrase of that very first verse in this chapter says that he went to be tempted by the devil. To be tempted by the devil. His purpose in being in the desert was to be tempted and tested. And, and so I want you to go to James chapter 1 for a moment because I just want to set some groundwork here. Many times, the, the, well, the world, of course, see things differently than the way we as Christians are supposed to see things differently. Those who live in the flesh and think in the flesh are going to make decisions contrary to the way God intends for us to make our decisions He wants to be leading us in those decisions. But when we alienate God from our day-to-day living, then we're left to temptation or just the concept of meandering. The first thing we need to find in this passage in in James chapter 112, it says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, tests, or experiments. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Now, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. 
but each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So, this is very, very significant for all of us as believers to get a grasp on. God does not tempt you with anything. We are tempted when our own evil desires get out of control. When our own evil desires uh, drag us away and entice us. And then after that desire has conceived, it gives birth to full-blown sin. And that sin leads us to to uh, full-born death. Or full, I can't even talk, full-grown death. So do you see what I'm trying to say? If you're tempted at all in this world, it's because of the evil desires that already reside within you. It doesn't come from God. The Spirit wants to lead you in this life to things that are going to bless you and benefit you, nurture you, and help you to grow to maturity. But you have the freedom, the free will to choose if you want the Spirit to lead you or not. Now, what most people do, like I was was trying to give you the illustration earlier, and I kind of got disrupted. On one extreme, you have spirit-led, and on the other extreme, you have devil-tempted. And in the middle, you basically have meanders who just want to drift through life. And in their drifting, they might drift to spirit-led one day and then tempted to the other day. And they might just continue to oscillate between the two in their free will meandering. And if you want to live life life like that, that's up to you. But just know that you're going to be in constant confusion. You'll you'll develop a form of spiritual schizophrenia because you will will continue to confuse yourself as to when the Spirit's leading you and when the devil's tempting you. And it'll it'll be a little bit hazy in between trying to ascertain which is which. The reason I know that is because how many times in the church today does somebody do something or say something that is completely ungodly? How many times does a Christian person make a bad decision? How many times does a Christian person do something that is a headlight or headlines in the newspaper that gives God a black eye? This happens because we get confused and we don't know the difference between them. So what is... These evil desires in our heart, where do they come from and how do they influence us? Mark 4.19 says, The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word of God, making it unfruitful. If that's not enough, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6-10, through 10, it says this, Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from settling our hearts on evil things, as the Israelites did while they were wandering in the desert. Idolatry was one of their problems. Indulgence of pagan revelry. Now, if you don't know what revelry means, it's a good study. Go into the dictionaries and start looking up what pagan revelry is. And basically, it's a partying lifestyle. People who just love to party, love to be the life of the party. They're the ones who are indulging in pagan revelry. And this is what the Israelites were doing in the desert. Isn't that a great place to go and party? Yeah. And also connected to that was sexual immorality. 
Now check this out. These are the statistics. In one day, 23,000 Israelites were killed when God allowed these poisonous vipers to come out of the rocks and they bit the Israelites. And the ones who turned and focused on the staff of Moses were saved. But those who rebelled against the staff, who, who, who resisted the leadership, who resisted the healing powers of God, 23,000 of them died in their pride that day because they refused to humbly submit themselves to the direction that Moses was giving them that would bring them new life. 23,000 said, no, thank you, Moses. We're going to take our chances. The scriptures say that we should not test the Lord as some did and were killed by snakes. And here's another form of evil desire. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. In Ephesians 2.3, it says, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. In James 4, 1 through 2, now I'm giving you these so you know I'm not making it up. This is good stuff. James 4, 1 through 2. What is it that causes fights and quarrels among you? Now, I understand. We're a church. We don't do fighting. We don't fight. We don't quarrel, right? Because we're all about love, right? Even in meetings, finance meetings, all meetings, we're all about love. That's what we're all about, right? We never criticize others. We don't quarrel. We don't fight. We don't get bitter embittered but what causes fights and quarrels among those who do fight don't they come from your desires that battle within you you want something but you don't get it you kill and you covet but you cannot have what you want so you quarrel and fight you do not have because you do not ask god you do not have because you ask with wrong motives now this is how the world thinks not us right we wouldn't do this. But this is real stuff. There are desires in each of us that are not necessarily godly. We may not want to use the word evil, but if it's not godly, it really is evil. And these evil desires give birth inside of us. They drag us away from where we're supposed to be spiritually, and they entice us to reach for things that we shouldn't have. And then it leads into full-blown sin, which gives us full-blown death. So, again, I ask, when it comes to the fights and quarrels, are you being spirit-led or are you being demonically tempted? Because we have both extremes, both polarities in this world. In 1 John 2, 15 and 16, uh, it says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does not have comes not from the Father, but from the world. That's crazy stuff. So we all have evil desires within us. Now here's the interesting thing. If you read it back in Matthew chapter 4, it says, or Luke chapter 4, whichever one you prefer, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Now, how is the devil going to tempt Jesus if he has no impurity in his heart? 
There's no sinfulness in his heart. How is this whole thing going to play out if Jesus is like solid steel, spiritually speaking? Well, in verse 2, it gives us a hint, and it says that after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. He was hungry. Not 40 minutes, but after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. You see, when we are weak is when the devil does his best work. He wants you to be weak. He wants you to be isolated. He wants you skipping church on Sundays and doing your own thing because by your, on your own, by yourself, whatever you're doing, he can tempt you easier. Uh, whenever the wolf attacks the, fl- the, the flock of sheep, he doesn't go to the middle of the flock. He looks for the strays out to the edges, right? And he attacks those. That's how the devil will attack you as well. When you're weak, when you're vulnerable to his attacks, he's going to turn it up a couple notches. When you're sleepy tired, at the end of the day, when you're sleepy tired and confused, the first thing in the morning, that's when he preys on you the best. I don't know which, one, which time of day you're weaker. End of the day for me. When I'm tired, exhausted, that's when, you know, I'm like, whatever, whatever. I'm just, I'm just done. And that's when the devil starts to tempt. Well, maybe you should do this. Maybe you should do that. Whenever you're hungry, whenever you're depressed, whenever you're angry, any of these, these moments of weakness, whatever form it may take, that is when you're the most vulnerable, and that's when you can count on the fact the devil is going to come and he's going to tempt you. That's what he does. That's what his name defines himself as. He is a tempter and, in the Old Testament word, an accuser. He tempts you, he misleads you, he accuses you. Now here's the other story that's going on in my head. In the Garden of Gethsemane, it was after the Last Supper. They've just observed the Passover. They were in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter, James, and John, the three closest disciples to Jesus. And he was at the Stone of Agony where he was sweating drops of blood, intently praying because he was just so overwhelmed by what was about to happen. And in that moment, in that moment, he said, Father, may this cup pass from me. That's just a hint of temptation. But then he followed it up immediately But if not, then let me have the strength to carry through with this. But Peter, James, and John, three times he had to wake them up. Why? Because they kept falling asleep. And he said to them, can you not fight the temptation? Can you not stay awake? But he he used this phrase, do not fall into temptation, which gives us a whole different view of what temptation looks like. We look at temptation like it's a choice. That, that comes in our weakest moments. But it's more than that. Temptation is something we can fall into. How does that happen? By meandering through life, non-committed, not being committed to being spirit-led, not being fully committed to temptation, but just meandering through life. I'll be okay. I'll be okay. I can handle this. I can handle this. And next thing you know, you have fallen into temptation. Remember the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There's a connection between temptation and evil. Jesus said we should pray against it. But they were were tired. 
Matthew 26, 41 says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now let's look at verse four or verse three. We're running out of time. So just, I mean, we're not running out of chronological time. We're running out of time on this. I just want you to rest easy. But in verse three, it says, the tempter came to him. When he was hungry, the tempter came to him. In order for a temptation to be valid, for it to be an accurate temptation, it must contain some element of truth. There has to be some element of desire there. So when I said, does anybody feel tempted to give me $100, the reason nobody carried through with it is because nobody had a viable desire to do that. And that's okay, because I didn't have a viable desire to receive it. I don't need it right now. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe next time I'm hungry. But right now, I don't need it. So in order for a temptation to be any, any semblance of validity, it must have an element of truth. Obviously, I'm not tempted to go shopping at the store. I don't do shopping. If I have to, I'll go get what I need, and I'll be out in five minutes. And I'll get home, and Paige will say, but you forgot this, this, and this. And then I have to go back. But temptation to, to shop is not one of my temptations. Temptation to go to bed early, maybe. But anyway, the point is, is that in order for Jesus to be adequately and viably tempted, there has to be some resemblance of truth to the temptation. There has to be some element of desire in him. But remember, it was not an evil desire for him, so that the desire had to be created from outside and, and is trying to penetrate his vault, his, his spiritual vault, his heart. And so when the tempter came, it, it said to him, or he said to him, if you are the son of God, and this is how it's always set up, as a contingency in order to prove yourself, prove yourself to not just me, but to all of the world, if you are the son of God, then do this. Tell these stones to become bread. Now, where's the temptation in that? He's like, all right, I'm in the desert. If I turn a stone to bread, what good's that going to do? Feed me for a moment? No, that's not the temptation. You see, if Jesus could, and he can, he just doesn't. If he chose to turn stones to bread, he could end world hunger in just a snap of a finger. That may be a temptation. I can feed everyone in this world and they will never, ever go hungry. They'll never worry about what they're going to get, get to eat for their next meal. They will always be provided for. But Jesus said to him, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Isn't it an interesting play that later Jesus would reveal to the disciples that he is the bread of life. If you eat from him, you will never hunger. The second time he says, again, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike a foot against a stone. So in this moment, this public display of divinity, Jesus could could persuade the entire known world at that time that he is definitively the son of God if he would just jump off this cliff and let the angels save him. But Jesus knew the game, he knew the schemes of the devil, and he replied, you do not put the Lord your God to the test, maintaining his purity. 
So the third time, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said this, I will give you this if you will bow down to me and worship me. And if you think about it, the temptation would be that Jesus could rule over the entire world. He could establish a theocracy to where everybody turned to God for directions and for, for, for discipline and for understanding. And, and he could just fix the whole political structure of this world. And the scriptures tell us that when he is established by his father in heaven, that he will reign supreme over the entire world. But he knew it wasn't time. And he absolutely had no desire to bow down to the devil because that dog just don't hunt. But isn't that what we do all the time? Don't we bow down to the devil every time he tempts us? If you will worship me today instead of going to church and worshiping God, I will give you the best day of your life. I will give you more joy and happiness because today you're going to meet Mr. Right or Mrs. Right and it's going to be a match made in heaven. And if you'll just follow me and do what I tell you to do, I will take care of all of your worries. If you will just give me your money and, and take it down to the casino and invest it at this one table and ask for this number, I will give you all the money you will ever need. You'll never be without money again. I don't know. I'm the, those are valid ex, uh, examples. They're not to me, but maybe they are to you. If I will just buy season tickets, maybe the Cardinals will be guaranteed another World Series championship. That's a good temptation right there. But no, I've already got 10 of them. I mean, I don't have them, but our team does. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, I didn't mean to rub anything in the people's faces. And, you know, there's an evil desire in me, just remember. But Jesus replied, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God, serve him only. What Jesus did here was he rebuked Satan. He rebuked the devil, which is exactly what we're supposed to do every time the devil's schemes manifest themselves in these types of temptations. We have to say to him, get behind me. I'm not going to play that game. I'm not going to complain about this. I'm not going to, to grumble about this. I'm not going to withhold funds from this. I'm not going to quit going to church. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to be mean to somebody else who's mean to me. I'm just not going to do it, so get away from me. So we have to learn how to stand up to the devil. And then verse 11, the very last verse that we'll look at, it says, Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Anyway, I don't know where you are on this whole temptation scheme of things, but I, I know that what I see in the mirror, and I know what you probably see when you look in your mirrors, we're tempted daily to do things which are not in alignment with God's will. We don't always seek this Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth and, and, and reliability. And as a result, we make a lot of bad decisions. We do a lot of hurtful things to one another, to God, to the community in which we live. And we have to start recognizing where this temptation comes from. It's not from God. It's not from God. So before you act on a temptation or on, on, a, on a, a hunch, be very prayerful about it and make sure you do what you got to do to please the Lord. It'll save you a whole lot of time, a whole lot of time. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you, Lord, that you're always there to pick us up when we fall on our faces. That happens often too many times. But Lord, I pray that you will help us to be stronger than that. I pray that you'll help us to be wiser than that. I pray that the Holy Spirit will lead us more than it has in the past, but that we will submit to the Holy Spirit's leading so that we can avoid some of these traps and snares. Lord, if this has been an experiment to us, I pray that you'll help us to pass the test. But Lord, where we fail, I pray that you'll help us to have a do-over. Lord, we want to, our desire is to please you. Maybe that's not the desire 24 hours a day, but Lord, we do want to please you. Sometimes, sometimes we just can't. And I pray that you'll help us with the can't part. Turn it into a desire. We love you, Father. We, we love you with all of our hearts. I just wish and pray that we could all give you more of our hearts because you're the only one in this world that deserves it. Please be patient with us, but please continue to walk with us. We don't want you to leave us. We don't want you to forsake us. We pray this out of humility and brokenness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our closing. If you would like prayer, I'd be more than happy to pray with you.